0: Welcome everybody to Talking Fates, the Star Wars podcast where we discuss another Star Wars podcast, specifically Duel of the Fates, a podcast in nine parts based on the alleged Derek Connolly, Colin Trevorrow draft of the Star Wars Episode 9 script. I'm John Murray, co-host of Star Wars TV talk, along with my TV talk cohort, Zach Logan. And we are joined this week by Duel of the Fates, Mortal Enemies, slash, Star-Crossed Lovers, Shelby Handley, and Dan Baraburger, who play Race Lana, and Kylo Ben, respectively, in this final chapter of the Limited Run 9 installment podcast. All right, Zach, for one last time, take it away.
1: Well, I am just super excited to discuss this episode because, wow, what a crazy conclusion to this story we got. And then I would also like to thank Dan and Shelby for
2: joining us. So, Dan, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm really, really happy to be here right at the end. And, uh, yeah, happy to share the, the, the mic with, with Shelby. Mm-hmm. And,
1: Shelby, how are you doing?
3: I'm good. Likewise, uh, happy to be back. It was really fun last time. So looking forward to diving into it this week.
0: Yeah, the nice thing about having both you guys on the cast together is well, now that we can be kind of, you know, not spoiler averse and talk about <laughs> the, the project as a whole, obviously everything culminates with you two facing off on Mortis. So, uh, you know, who better to have on the cast to speak to kind of that, that thrilling climax and sort of the emotions and, and what underpin both of your performances during this, you know, final reel of, uh duel of the fates so uh, i think it's appropriate that we have you and i'm really excited to really kind of dig deep on the radio play as a whole this week Mm -hmm.
1: there is so much to get through there's so much awesome stuff that happened in this nine part audio drama as a whole but especially in this last 25 minutes that we got in this final episode of duel of the fates the nine part installment podcast so let's just get right into it so last episode it ended with a pretty brutal fight between kylo and ray in which Ray was blinded by Kylo now that I'm like seeing some visuals in my head. I'm trying to process how this would look on screen and holy cow. This it took a very dark turn. So Dan, I want to ask you something. What did you think of this scene? And how do you feel about this kind of ruthless version of Kylo who like walks (laughs) away and says goodbye scavenger?
2: You know, um, it, it was, you know, in a weird kind of morbid way. It was kind of funny for me because I am, I am legally blind myself. Uh, and I walk with a white cane and everything. And I'm like, well, oh, that would have been a way cooler way to have that happen to me <laughs> than getting kicked in the head on a playground when I was seven. So this is like, I was like, yeah, I'm going to just take that as, as my story from, <laughs> from here out. But, um, no, I kinda, it was, it, it really, to me felt just extra vicious. Like we knew that he it, it makes makes Kylo feel just irredeemable there. Mm-hmm. And you know, and then I liked the pardon the blind pun, but the imagery of it, because uh, you know, so much of Star Wars is drawn on old um like Japanese cinema and everything. And so this throws back in a way to like Zatoichi, the blind samurai and mm-hmm. um and a lot of those early like blind samurai tropes. And then when Ray comes back and kicks ass, then you know, it, it, it did a did a did a great service to all us uh, blind Jedi everywhere. So, yeah, mm-hmm.
1: and then Shelby, how did you take in all this? What did you think of it all?
3: Yeah, it it is, uh, and we kind of talked about this a bit last time, but it it is so much more violent than the the movie that we got, and I mm-hmm. feel like this ending, the way it comes together, was a little bit more appropriate. Um, or it, it felt more right, I guess I should say, to me at least. Mm-hmm. But it is very, you know, reading the script, it was hard sitting there and just being like, okay, I just got lightsaber to the eye, So Okay, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and going from there uh, and then trying to channel all of that pain and anger and everything that she's feeling and sort of push that back outward for those, mm-hmm. those final few scenes.
1: And so this embracing of that anger and love where she becomes, in essence, a gray Jedi. Now, how did you respond? Uh, can you kind of dig deeper into your thoughts on Rey embracing both the dark and the light?
3: Yeah, I mean, she really is going through a struggle the entire series. Um, and we see it a lot. We see it, I think, a little bit more vocally in in this script that we have here just the constant reminder for saying you know balance like what is balance what we've been taught to believe is balance I just don't agree with that Um, and so I do think that this idea that balance is not uh, having the light and having the dark but rather having them both and figuring out what that looks like and how to navigate that Uh, and even in those final scenes uh, with everyone in sort of the force thereafter uh, (laughs) the astral plane yes yeah Just to hear everyone sort of confirming like, ah, yes, that is right. That is what we were missing. I think really channeling that for her. She does have so much anger throughout the whole thing, but she's trying so hard to stay on the path of light. And this is an acceptance that I can be angry. I can feel all of these things and it doesn't make me bad. It doesn't make me evil. It doesn't make me of the dark. It just makes me of both. And that is actually what makes me a Jedi. Mm -hmm. Um, so sort of coming to terms with those and just like it's fun a little bit more from an acting standpoint to explore both because you don't have to be as controlled in those moments mm. uh, and you can really play with letting that, that anger seep out and not trying to push it away. Mm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I absolutely loved this whole thing. It was very reminiscent of uh, Dan's already pointed out this kind of blind samurai trope. Um, But I also was getting like some Matrix vibes here (laughs) and just so much of these like kind of callbacks to these classic films. And of course, when you know who is allegedly writing this, it all makes sense. Like this all feels like Trevorrow. Uh, But Dan, you also pointed out that Kylo gets his ass kicked. And so let's move on to that whole thing where Rey becomes what the Jedi are meant to be. And Kylo loses some fingers. And (laughs) it's really kind of this this brutal thing. Once again, going super dark. I think this would have been the darkest that Star Wars has ever gone. Minus Anakin killing some younglings off screen. But once again, what was it like? playing with that and then also him just ruthlessly saying ray you know what you got some life there it'd be a shame someone took
2: it from you Mm -hmm. i (laughs) i think the when i listened to the whole thing through i was like a lot of people i was kind of listening along as the parts were were released and so what i come away from this full script is that yeah like uh what they built with ryan johnson's the last jedi well ray was the last jedi being uh, like she by embracing the light and the dark she kind of kills off all the dogma of the you know the idea of the balance so you have your light and you have to be as a jedi you have to be light and or you're sith you have to be dark and i think uh and then ray realizes oh no Por no los dos? I can be both. And mm-hmm. then I felt like Kylo was really holding on to that. No, there has to be two sides there. And then that kind of represents to me all the previous films. And I think this would have been a much better interpretation of the whole, you know, the prophecy as, uh, as all the films went mm-hmm. and um, kind of wish we got it. now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely has. More of a uh, like a, a a satisfying bookend for some of the major themes that have run throughout the entire saga, mm-hmm. and it, it does feel like Rise of Skywalker because it was going in so many directions didn't really have a chance to drive any of those home. It it just kind of got lost in all of its meandering and, and uh, didn't really make the point that Mm -hmm. that this script made. And to think that this was just seemingly an early draft, if not the first draft of uh, what could have been, it it seems like they were definitely going down the right direction as far as really figuring out something new to say about the nature of the force. And, you know, what we learned in the prequel trilogy, which is, you know, the Jedi didn't have it all figured out. You know, there was obviously some flaws and they made that clear in, in the last Jedi as well, that even Luke recognized that, Oh no, this, this wasn't the only way to approach things. And and it was actually pretty misguided. So it's neat that they, they picked the ball up and ran with all of that. And so it feels like, much more of a, a fitting finale to actually take all of what's been established and say something fresh about it. And, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Absolutely. Dan, that, uh, <laughs> um, at this point now, having listened to all nine parts, it's, it's very bittersweet that there was so much more that could have been said in episode nine. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's only going to ever live on in, in this wonderful little, uh, makeshift podcast. that am uh, proud to be part of <laughs> mm-hmm, Absolutely.
1: Well, one of the things that I have realized while listening to this was if you did not watch any of the extra Star Wars material. So if you didn't watch Clone Wars Rebels, if you didn't read any of the books, we have no idea how the force works. Like the, mm. it, it feels like almost nothing was answered and purposely so in a lot of instances where it's just like it's a mystery. Qui-Gon Jinn, I think, explains it the best um, in episode one. But we really don't understand what actually happens um with the force until you get this version i think it it dives deeper into that mythos of the force than any star wars has done because we're about to get a big thing that drops in this episode regarding ray her lineage and then also this kind of afterlife that she goes to so i want to ask both of you uh shelby first what did you think of this reveal of ray's lineage
3: well, as we established last time, uh, as what you called me out for, since I am not one of the the most uh, well-versed Star Wars fans out there, I was very sort of curious um, as well how understanding Ray would be like of that name herself. Like obviously it carries some weight to her and it seems to uh, when you read the script and having her hear it aloud and and she she thinks she kind of knew that somewhere deep down already. But but it is interesting, you know, she was living in this very secluded life away from everything, uh, how much she would really understand what that meant or, or if she really understood it, at least before. I'm sure in her trainings and stuff that would have become more apparent to her. But it was interesting to me how different that was, again, from from the film. Because that went a very, very different
0: <laughs> Could not have gone way. in any more of a different direction. <laughs>
3: yeah. um, so I think it, it felt a little bit, I think, and I'll, I'll say it again, it felt a little bit more right. It felt a little bit, I could come to terms with this a little bit more, I think, than than when I watched the mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm.
1: And so... Dan, we have Kylo Ren, the jerk face who knew this since <laughs> the last Jedi, who's been keeping this from Rey for some time now. And then you of course have Ben Solo who reveals this to Rey. Now this whole scene, he of course gives the life force plus his own back to Rey, ultimately healing her and reveals this lineage. So what was that like for you and how did you respond to it?
2: I I think it was a much better redemption than we received in the film um, to be honest, because it isn't the, the, there was a bit of back and forth, but not the overt like, and now she's down. And now she's up and now he's down. Now he's up. And then the kids <laughs> Like, it was just, it was like watching a drinking bird, you know? And, and, um. but with, with this, it felt more, more natural. It felt like he wasn't looking for any kind of, cosmic forgiveness he just it was it was his version of a selfless act and kind of like i know i done screwed up so let me like here's your name and i'm gone like and and i kind of like that it was a little i i felt like it was kind of understated for for him going there wasn't any pomp or fanfare or anything it was to save one person rather than a whole galaxy or a big space battle above it was just one person and and I think that that should the character of Ben more than anything. No.
1: And John, how did you uh feel about this reveal here?
0: Um I think I guess I just have to echo what's already been said. I don't want to just restate it, but it feels very fitting. It it feels like it was a more organic conclusion to them squaring off and them being kind of in, in the midst of the wellspring of the force and just being like where they're at and what the stakes are and who these characters are and what their past is that we now understand. It seemed like, you know, unless someone's just going to lop your head off with a lightsaber, this is kind of the only other way it could go, you know, like a a moment of truth laid bare and a moment of agency for Kylo Ren. Like that's kind of the one thing that Kylo Ren's never really had in force awakens. He's under Snoke's thumb Mm -hmm. and by the end of Force awakens, he's so torn up and conflicted because of what he did to his father that throughout last Jedi, he's just on a rampage, really. and because he's so just like pulled by his passions and and just so rend asunder, uh, like emotionally, he hasn't really had the opportunity to just do what he wants, like what truly deep down he should be driven to do in, in a, in a moment where there's no other stakes and there's nothing else to, to win or lose. Just who is he and what's he going to choose to do of his own volition. It was nice to have a little moment of that where he tries to give a little bit of closure and, you know, mm-hmm. just something good at the end of all this. Um, So I don't know. I just, it, there, there's a, there's a lot of analysis you can put on it, right. but it just felt very good, I guess is where I got to leave it.
1: I mean, I have been one to defend the Ray Palpatine from the beginning. I like that <laughs> version of the story. I I still do. Um, But this one feels like it's still fitting. Like there is a world in which two endings fit. We obviously got the end result. But if we never had that, it would have been in the back of our minds that we wouldn't have even known what would have happened. Uh, this is a little bit different because a full first draft of the script was completed and we see it. But I feel like it was um, a very interesting take. It also shows that, uh, you know, it kind of flips the script where Kylo was lying to Rey and The Last Jedi about her parents. When when the version we got, that's not the case. He saw what we kind of all saw. So I I enjoyed both. And and this one, though, it's really interesting. And I want to point out because people have already complained about it. Her last name probably wouldn't have stayed Solana. Yeah, that, no, that is definitely filler. Yeah, that is definitely just okay. Let's put this name here, and then we'll get the kinks out later as we get further down. So it wouldn't have been that close to solo.
0: It's half solo, half Organa, right? right. Like that's mm. they, they're just like riffing and just putting it down as they go. I'm sure yeah. that, so, that would have evolved. Yeah. Uh,
1: so yes, and a lot of people are pro liking Ray be this no one to the galaxy because you know, like she says. No one is no one. Um, And so I thought that it was still a super beautiful ending. But then something else crazy happens. We get to see where the Jedi go when they depart <laughs> from the physical world. So this afterlife scene, so you know, I kind of want everyone's opinion on it. So let's start with Shelby. What did you think of Ray going into this afterlife, the whatever you want to call it, this platform nine and three quarters thing? <laughs>
3: Yeah, the astral plane, if you <laughs> will correcting myself from earlier. Um yeah, what an what an interesting scene. Um it felt in some ways a little bit more um coming together to really just wrap everything up. Uh it, it did feel in some ways a little bit we're gonna bring everyone together so we have this final closure. But it sort of was nice, I think like uh, for Ray as a character, especially um having everything that she has fought for and struggled for be affirmed. Mm -hmm. And so easily by all her teachers who were, were pushing her in in a different way uh, or to see things differently. And she refused to accept that to go, Oh, look at that. Yes. You were right all along. Um, But I think it does allow more space going forward to have her go and choose to come back. I really Mm -hmm. think that choice to, even though she has been kind of this no one, I think in a lot of ways, deciding to go back is her saying, again, without words, no one is no one. Like I am choosing to put myself now in a position where I can, you know, the implication in the script is that she will teach the next generation of of Jedi going forward and she will really be a someone and, and she can be whoever it is that she wants to be going forward as, and not just... This Jedi who has controlled the force and defeated Kylo Ren um, more than the legend, um, I think. So rather than stay just the legend, she's sort of taking the opposite route of, of Luke in some ways and going back to really sort of solidify the things that she has fought for and also just immerse herself in the life that she never had.
1: And Dan, what about you? Same question.
2: I think it being so. This was like the first draft of the strip. That's that's where we're, we're mm-hmm. pretty confirmed on that because it did feel very much like I. I liked where they were going with it, but it did feel like the Harry Dumbledore on the. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh, you're dead. You're not. But maybe yeah, not. And <laughs> and um and 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 then it's Luke. And oh hey, I brought my two friends. They really wanted to meet you, and and so like why it's Obi Wan and Yoda? It's like sure they're the iconic ones, but there could be so that. I think is where they would have had the uh, if this had been produced. Uh, that's where all the you know the one scene in rise of skywalker where all the whispering is it's right. like we're with you right that's just the one <laughs> <laughs> obi-wan with the one clip that they don't Ray. <laughs> like made no <laughs> sense but um but they i think that's where they would have done that and kind of been like hey cameo fiesta and it might not have been like the bright white kind of stereotype of death but i like what they were doing with it, it the imagery and and um the scene itself i i imagine it would have changed up but not Tonally, if that makes yeah, any I sense,
0: I think that makes perfect sense. That's yeah. that's kind of kind of my take on it. This feels well. Star Wars from day one, the the force was basically Buddhism light. Like mm-hmm. it's just like you know generic spirituality. Lucas was pulling in stuff mainly from Buddhism, so it makes sense if if Colin Trevorrow has done his homework and he's like you know these are the themes. This is you know this is where all of this sprang from. How can I? make sure that I pay homage to that a little bit in the script and also, you know, um, pay off, you know, what we've set up with people disappearing and, and being able to come back as blue, uh, force ghosts or whatever, like how can we, you know, work that in. And it just seems like they carved out this spot and they said, we know thematically this is going to work, but there's probably a little bit of room to massage this and make sure that, you know, this, (laughs) this, you know, this, this gels a little bit better, but the idea I think of, um, giving Ray the opportunity, almost the the fork in the road of, are you going to go back and continue to fight the fine fight? Or are you going to just, you know, fade off into the ether? There's something poetic about that in the final chapter. So yeah. I, I think they were on the right track. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, in subsequent drafts, this would have been fine tuned a little bit and probably, you know, would have been really appropriate in whatever would have made it the screen.
2: Yeah. It felt like they were kind of building towards something like that with like road one, with the top, the guardians of the will. Yeah. And there's a lot of, <laughs> force stuff happening in all the expanded universe or whatever they're calling it now, like the bonus canon stuff and and then it just seemed like JJ is like, but, but lens flares, right. You know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, there was a lot of, a lot of stuff that just didn't make the cut. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, this, this, I think if they'd continued to pull on that thread and just seen how this could have taken shape, I think thematically this makes sense in the, yeah. the final, you know, reel of episode nine for them to have some sort of, not just conclusion to the, the battle and the state of the galaxy and the star wars of it all, but also the spirituality The where, where do we leave the force at this point? And this is, basically the the best setting to really drive home the idea that they've achieved balance by mm-hmm. acknowledging you know human nature includes both light and dark yeah. and if you're always opposing it you'll never be in balance so yeah there's there's a whole lot of yin and yang again mm-hmm. that 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 um you know uh fortune cookie uh b- buddhism kind of stuff <laughs> Some light, yeah. uh but yeah it, they i i think they really could have you know made all that sing if they'd kept uh, going down this path mm-hmm. yeah john what you
1: said i think is key where There needed to be a moment where Yoda, especially because Yoda failed and and the last Jedi, he says the greatest teacher failure is there needed to be a moment where the Jedi acknowledged like, you know what? Qui-Gon was right in the end, (laughs) like he had it right. And we're in this whole mess because we didn't listen to that dude in the first place. So I think there needed to be that moment. And I think that uh, that that was kind of one of the big misses. Mm -hmm. I I did struggle with it because I was just like, oh, platform nine and three quarters like this would (laughs) not have worked in this version like they they would have had to write it a couple of different ways for me not to laugh seeing it on screen because it would have been too too close. And I understand like that's she didn't create that. I mean, that wasn't something that uh, that JK actually created on her own um that's a very common trope where you go to the afterlife you talk Mm -hmm. to you know uh people in the afterlife then you come back but as far as screen time and just being so close to uh to that film would have it would have been a distraction (laughs) Mm -hmm. now a, a nice little trivia thing and i don't know why jj kept using it after the force awakens because like Dan pointed out, it's like uh, the Ray thing where it, it seems like he's asking a question. Ray, <laughs> well, that's actually uh, um, a clip from Alec Guinness where he's telling Luke, don't be afraid. And they clipped afraid oh, and no. kept the Ray portion in it <laughs> to make it fit. So that
0: was mm-hmm. just <laughs> nerdy. Yeah, yeah, no, what? if you put all the effort into preparing that little sound clip, you got to get your money. Yeah. Done, so.
1: <laughs> all right. So to end this episode, I want to discuss. Uh, how this all ended. So how episode nine, the duel, the fates ended in this version. Um, so a brief opinion, uh, from everyone starting with Shelby, what did you think of this ending of the saga?
3: When I, when I first read the the ending to the script, I went, okay, I think that's what I was going for when I watched the movie and I didn't get that, uh, the movie um and and i think even just the back and forth between kylo and ray is more what i want you know they've been i get like the intensity and and romance of the film sure but like they have been at entirely opposite ends fighting for different things you know ray is fighting for balance of light and dark and kylo is fighting for control of both of those things and life itself so i think the conclusion to this felt very i could hear the music as I was reading it, overlaying at the very end, sort of um, allowing space for whatever might come next, whether actually, uh, you know, more scripts or fan pieces or just, you know, the imagination of the viewers. Um, but it did feel a little bit more resolved, I think, for me. I liked it. That's what I'm going with. <laughs> I, I liked the setting.
1: And then Dan, how about you?
2: I, yeah, I, I have to echo that. It's, um, I think it was, it was satisfying. I think especially compared to, and and I I should say I did enjoy for the most part Rise of Skywalker, but uh, I kind of enjoyed this ending more because yeah, you have your, your finality with, um, with Ray and Ben, and then you have the kind of like the return to the shire sort of imagery right. where uh it did feel kind of like the um the field scene and in, in uh attack to the clones but, but yeah. nobody's rolling around with like big pill bugs but <laughs> um and so, but I, I thought it was it was nice you see it it was kind of like the palate cleanser right at the end like there is that's that's the hope that we we get to see and it and it's calm and at peace but in Rise of Skywalker. We saw Ray going to like buy an old house and uh, taking the name for tax reasons, and <laughs> and Star Destroyers just falling out of the sky because traditionally that's what they do, apparently. And, but uh, I th- I think so. The this version's um, was a, a lot more well it, it, with a with a little more polishing. It, the mm-hmm. final draft could have been pretty pretty amazing and a little more poignant than than what we did get. And then John,
0: I, as I was listening to this final chapter, I was thinking back to, um, I had read a very early draft of return of the Jedi a long time ago. And I remember how sprawling that script was and how much stuff was woven in that didn't make it into the final film and, and how, um, yeah, just, um, unformed. A lot of the themes are, that seem so crystal clear in, in the final movie they they were still very ambiguous or just still very much in flux in, in the early script. And, it, it makes you appreciate how this early on in the process, the goal is get everything you can into the script. And then we start carving back and fine tuning and whittling it down into something a little bit more manageable. So when I'm listening to to this, I kind of feel like I need to, um I need to apply that same understanding to, to what we're hearing here, because there's a, there, there's, Like a few denouements to this, like it, like you have like a big climax, then you have like another big climax, and then you have, you know, like what comes after, and then like a final decision, and then there's closure, and then there's peace, and then there's, and then there's, you know, uh, a a little bit more closure, and you, you kind of, it's kind of like a slow ramp down, kind of like, kind of like the end of Return of the King, but, uh, a bit, you know, even a bit more meandering here. And I think that that's just them saying, look, how do you end a story like this? Well, you could have this, and you could have that, and you could have this, and, and, these are all the things that in a perfect world, we'd love to find a really elegant way to say them all, but let's at least just like get them on the page so that we don't forget about any of this stuff. So I think we're seeing a lot of things that would have really been slimmed down and streamlined in, into probably a lot fewer, mm-hmm. you know, poignant little moments to, to cap things off. Mm-hmm. I personally think that maybe the the best way to go would have been to leave it ambiguous as to whether Ray comes back from the ethereal plane or whatever. Like mm. I think that if they just cut there, you know, Yoda, poses the mm-hmm. question you know here's the road in front of you and you don't really see which way she goes and then you get that little bit of banter uh mm-hmm. you know like can we feel ray can't we feel ray oh i believe she'll be back someday mm-hmm. and it's kind of like we want to believe she's out there and maybe if the galaxy comes calling you know we'll get that answer in an episode mm-hmm. 10 or something down the road or yeah. you know some other spin-off. i feel like if this had made it to screen i have a feeling a lot of this would have been curbed in Mm -hmm. and maybe they would have given us a little bit more to uh hang on um so Mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of good stuff here but i think we're seeing very much as as we move through this script the the closer you get to the end the more sprawling everything is because they haven't really tamed that beast yet um so i i love it i think that there's a lot here to like i just really would have liked to see what would have come next Mm -hmm. yeah
1: well and john it's already been pointed out this kind of return of the king thing Mm -hmm. quite literally uh we do return to the Shire in the form of the planet Modesta, is that yes. right? Yes,
0: <laughs> yes the the planet Modesta. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Now, I don't like Shelby. You say you're not hardcore, so that may have gone over your head. Dan, <laughs> I'm going to give you first crack at this. Do you understand what this Easter egg is?
2: Modesta. It's it, no, no. It's no? Okay. I'm I'm I feel like I get kicked myself. It's
0: okay. So you, that's okay. You're off the hook. This is so kind I'm of okay. a this is this is a deep <laughs> cut. But Zach, now you. I'm not sure if you actually lived specifically
2: yep, there.
0: Did. Okay, so right, like Are smack, we talking dab. about a
2: yeah. city in a yeah. state. I
0: think I think we're talking about Modesto,
2: okay, California, which is where to go, <laughs> which
0: is where you know Lucas hails from, which I think uh, is in Marin hey. County, right, Zach? No, it's
1: in um, it's in Stanislaus County, so it's actually okay. a couple hours away from uh Marin, but it's it, whenever I was reading this and the description. Of kind of this grassy field that they were in, even (laughs) though there's not a whole lot of places in Stanislaw that's like super pretty grassy anymore because a lot of it's just farm town now. Mm. But I was imagining Modesto and maybe Mm. that was just because that's where I uh, grew up. My dad still lives there, but it was totally this whole kind of striking a tear in my eye because that of course is where Lucas grew up his right. all of his stuff was inspired from there a modesto american graffiti was was filmed there and so i think that with the combination of r2 premiering the <laughs> star wars would have gotten such an emotional response from me yeah. on screen because it it is so It's so honoring to Lucas. And I know that he gets a lot of crap for the prequels and people still can't agree whether or not they're good or they're bad. But it is so honoring to him because it's like Modesto. That would have been something that he would have watched and he would have seen. And I would think had the same feelings that I had even more because Star Wars is his baby. And then American Graffiti, of course, like you don't live in Modesto and not visit those places Um, Mm. to the point where Lucas honored the city of modesto by premiering um uh, revenge of the sith in modesto as like this is where i'm having it last that was something that uh my dad like pulled all the strings that he could got me into that premiere and i got to sit right behind mark hamill in modesto <laughs> at a at brendan theaters and watch this film three weeks before it came out to the general yeah. public and And so that, I think all that combined, I just, I would have lost it. I would have sat Mm -hmm. there and I would have cried and everyone would have looked at me thinking like, what the hell is wrong with you?
0: (laughs) (laughs) See, now that's, that's really it. Both of these things, the, the R2D2 getting his memory bank put back in and then projecting Mm -hmm. the whole saga. Mm -hmm. And then the idea that, you know, they're, they're going to pay homage to to Lucas by naming that planet Modesta. Mm -hmm. Um, Both of those things just say Colin Trevorrow obviously has a reverence for the source material and for what lucas created it's not he's not coming at this from a place of like cynicism or um you know like just seeing this as a typical franchise that you just you know you just churn out another movie of and i i feel like that's that's something that's worth underscoring and so i I think you 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 hit it there zach that the fact that he would pull in the the r2d2 thing because what that is that's a, a a running joke lucas has joked for a long time that basically the entire saga is being told from the droid's perspective. And that the reason why they're in every film is because ultimately R2D2 is like the master chronicler of the entire saga. So Colin Trevorrow obviously watched those documentaries and interviews and all the little things that would give you some insight into Lucas's thinking and, and just, you know, the lore of star Wars and the meta of star Wars. And obviously he's pulling on that and he's doing it in a really sentimental and kind way. Because Lucas obviously had his misgivings about where the franchise went after he sold it. And what a what a nice thing that would have been for Lucas mm-hmm. to show up at the premiere and maybe see that for the first time. And yeah. again, this is just a whole lot of what could have been, but uh, I think that, that that would have been very sweet.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. And it would have been a our version of the song San Francisco because whenever um, kind of growing up in this in this area like that song whenever you hear it if you're going to San Francisco you know all the lovely people there all that stuff is really emotional to people that love San Francisco mm-hmm. and so I think this would have kind of been that version where people from Modesto that have loved Star Wars, because let's be honest, the best thing to happen to Modesto is George <laughs> Lucas. Like, there's not much there. It's not, uh, it's not necessarily a place that people are just like proud to jump up and say, "I'm from Modesto." But when you're when you go to Star Wars trivia nights like I do, and that question <laughs> pops up, and you pop up, and you're like, "It's Modesto." Yeah, we're all from here, and then we claim it. And so I think that would have just been uh, extremely beautiful. So. Now,
0: Zach, do you think we should um we should let our guests yes. weigh in uh, at some point here?
1: <laughs>
2: Absolutely, <laughs>
0: we're we're nerd now. You're pretty hardcore. So no,
2: I'm I'm loving it. Like, <laughs> uh, to, actually, if I can jump in real quick, I think the for reading the the, the script back, and as as you guys mentioned that. I feel like Trevorrow looked at not just the source material of Lucas, but Lucas's source material, like right, be, yes. being like R2 and 3PO being the two characters that go through so many of Akira Kurosawa's samurai movies who right. just happen on, they're like the bumbling idiots who happened to, and once tall and once short and fat, and like they happen to go through everything and like they're the chroniclers. And I think that was really well conveyed in, in this one much over than than what we got in any of the the sequel films so i I think just that that callback there was 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 tremendous so
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and like
2: luke said in last jedi when when r2 pulls out the little video of leia he's like (laughs) that's not fair yeah Yeah. i think the whole audience would be that's not fair
0: yeah no that's that's an emotional trump card yeah yeah
1: so Shelby, I have a task for you. Great. <laughs> um, I want you to summarize your thoughts, your feelings, in kind of a final statement on Duel of the Fates and what it was like working on it, and then cap that off with where people can find you.
3: Oh boy! Okay. <laughs> Super the heavy easy. task that is. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. I would say overall with the script and my experience working on this and bringing this to life, like what a unique opportunity, not just like, I think for everyone to be able to see the script and have that, but then also to put it together in this way, uh, I think has been something really special and to then get to experience in sort of, you're talking about all the nostalgia. Um, So I think that, yeah, unique and special are are my... (laughs) Statement words here, but um, it really was just a different experience um, that I'm so thrilled to have been a part of. Uh, and I've learned so much from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and in terms of me, uh, I have a few things on the go or will be on the go soon, hopefully. Um, so at beyondmentalborders.com, uh, we will hopefully, that's our mentalist show. I know Armand was talking about that on his episode as well. We will hopefully be back on stage in the coming month or so. Uh, So for updates on that, that's where you can go or at Beyond Mental Borders on Instagram. Uh, And then Armand and I as well also have a musical project in the works on the go, Um, just sort of getting started and out the gate, which is As We Are. So you can check us out there at asweare.music on Instagram. That would probably be the best way.
0: Very good.
1: All right, Dan. You have the same task to tell us how
0: you
2: <laughs> uh-huh.
1: felt about working on this project, and then where people can find you.
2: Oh, geez. Well, um, honestly, it was like I am. I I, I love Star Wars. I've I've loved it since I was just a young buck. I've got a model of the Millennium Falcon sitting my, right like right next to me here, and it's <laughs> just, uh, I I it was so. Flattering to even be part of it. I think I mentioned the last time I was on the on the podcast that when I talked to Jamie about doing a role, I thought it was going to be like at, at best a Gonk droid or something. And he's <laughs> like, "Yeah, no, you could be like Kylo." I'm like, "But you what?" Um, but he, you know, I I had so much fun. It was a whole learning experience for me. I, um, it's it's actually my first uh, first first voice acting gig proper i I suppose is normally outside of this i'm a stand-up comic so i'm used to like talking my own crap not uh (laughs) not reading uh which you know with low vision is not my strong suit and also i'm incredibly lazy but it was uh you know you did
3: those things well thank you thank you (laughs) well
2: you know the source material and the the people i got to work with uh and yourself included uh, definitely gave me the uh the stick to to want to to want to do it, and uh, no, I I loved it, and I I, I do wish I, I still enjoy Rise of Skywalker, but I do wish that we got an opportunity to to see this on screen, or at least some kind of weird hybrid amalgamation of this and what we got, and um, yeah, and uh, as far as where you can find me, um, when I mean I live in Toronto, and our uh, comedy venues are still closed, um, so there are some. Uh, some shows set up in parks so if you're taking your dog out for a park uh for a a park run um you might see me uh and uh beyond that you can find me on on twitter at dan i do um talks about being a uh low vision traveler and uh living in you know the modern age with a disability uh at danbaraburger.com and um I, I actually uh, do a YouTube channel with, uh, Aiden Bacrossi who played, uh, Chancellor Hux. Um, we, uh, we have game, it's called game and scotch. Uh, and we are breaking totally new ground as a couple of white guys talking about video games and <laughs> drinking on the internet. It's never been done before. Um, and it's, it's, uh, no, it's just basically an excuse for us to have a cup of beer and play video games. And, uh, and wh- why not? So, um, but that's, that's where you can find me, but I love doing this too and, and meeting all of you guys. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Shelby and Dan, you did such a beautiful job working on this project. Um, I hope that our acting paths can cross in the future. Cause I would love to work with you guys. It would be uh, so much Likewise. fun to be able to love do that. something like that. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. Um, it was great having you back and wow, what a wonderful job you guys did.
0: Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank Agreed. you. You're here.
1: Uh, I also want to thank our listeners for joining us on this journey and remind them that there will be a full, unabridged version of Duel of the Fates dropping soon, which will have all nine parts in one episode. You can find more content from the creators of this audio drama at duver.com. That's D-E-W-V-R-E dot com. And, of course, you can find myself and John over at StarWarsTVTalk.com or by searching for Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcasts.